I'm Jill, and we're not talking about the 4th of July today. Um, It's come and gone, but a recurring theme for our life with dogs, for our community challenge, our household challenge this summer in particular has been a lot of questions for me about dogs who are afraid. And I sometimes worry... (coughs) Excuse me. I worry a little bit about what we are attributing when we characterize any kind of hesitancy, any kind of reticence as an evidence as evidence of fear because it's not. Let's just say that, right? There are some things that are legitimately something to worry about, but we got to figure out the role we play and we got to go deep on this whole fear thing um, because I think it's probably one of the places where uh, we misattribute real cause and effect um, both from behavioral and any other kind of angle. So in two parts starting this week and continuing next week let's think about talk about fear Um, I had a call last week about a Newfoundland, five-year-old Newfoundland, who had some knee surgery, right? Not uncommon for our giant dogs, giant breeds to have some orthopedic challenges as as they start to age. And a five-year-old Newfoundland is is headed towards uh, geriatricity if he's not there already. And uh, following the surgery, the dog was reluctant to do stairs not surprising so the owner began to let him stay in the backyard for seven weeks for seven weeks and every time she decided he should try to come in she tried to sweet talk him she tried to bribe him she tried to entice him and um, the harder she worked we might say the more disdainful he became of her efforts. Seven weeks of that. Seven weeks of that kind of training because make no mistake, that dog was learning every single time he had the opportunity and every time she failed to persist. All right, let's talk about this. Because a few years back, I had another student with Peanut, a small dog, little breed, that was jumped at a class by another dog at some facility somewhere. It was frightening for the owner. Uh, The dog was not injured. But afterwards, the owner was hypervigilant with her dog, hypervigilant around other dogs, particularly large ones. She looked for and noticed every slight tension, every sign of tension on the dog's part. And she had a tendency to instantly attribute those signs to the presence of the nearest large dog. So before we talk about what happened with Peanut, let's take a look. We've done this before. here and you may this may sound familiar but let's take a look again at a couple of excerpts from temple grandin's book 
Animals in Translation. In the book, uh, Grandin writes that animals show the same bias towards certain fears and against others. This is uh, information based on the experiments done by psychologist Susan Manika. She experiments with monkeys and snakes at Northwestern University and are pretty good evidence of this. She started out with the fact that monkeys who live in the wild are terrified of snakes, while monkeys raised in laboratories are not. Show a live snake to a bunch of wild reared monkeys and they explode. They make faces, they flap their ears, they grip the bars of their cages, their hair stands up. That's called piloerection. Wild reared monkeys refuse to even look at the snakes. That's how aversive the presence of a snake is to a monkey who's been reared and raised in the wild. Show the same snake to a monkey who grew up in the laboratory and nothing happens. He's not worried. So what we take away is that it's obvious, it's clear that monkeys don't come into the world already knowing snakes are bad. Somebody has to teach them. And what Dr. Manika shows in the lab is that it's super easy to teach a laboratory monkey to be just as terrified of snakes as any monkey who'll grow up in the jungle. When Dr. Manika exposed her fearless lab monkeys to the monkeys reared in the wild acting afraid of snakes, the laboratory monkeys instantly got scared themselves and they stayed scared. All they had to do was watch one snake-scared monkey and they were snake-scared for life themselves. It only took a few minutes. The lab-reared monkeys, I mean, it gets worse, right? The lab-reared monkeys learned the same level of fear the demonstrator monkeys showed. If the demonstrator monkeys was scared but not panicked, the observer monkey learned to be scared but not panicked too. If the demonstrator monkey was terrified, the observer monkey learned to be terrified. And after learning snake fear through observation, then the lab-reared monkey was just as good a fear model for other lab-reared monkeys as the monkey reared in the wild had been for him. Dr. Manika also showed that it is impossible to teach a monkey to be afraid of a flower using the same technique. She showed her laboratory monkeys videotapes of a flower followed by a shot of a monkey acting terrified, making it look like the monkey on the tape was terrified of the flower. The tape had no effect. Watching a video of a monkey acting afraid of a snake scared the lab monkeys to death. Watching a video of a monkey acting afraid of a flower didn't faze them at all. Most researchers, this is according to Dr. Grandin, have concluded that the fear of snakes is semi-innate. Monkeys aren't born fearing snakes, but they are born ready to learn to fear snakes at the first sign of trouble. Animal behaviorists call snakes a prepared stimulus, meaning that monkeys have been prepared by evolution easily to acquire a fear of snakes. Prepared stimulus and a fear of loud noises is pretty well documented in our dogs as well. Dogs don't come fearing loud noises. There are certainly dogs who are not gun shy, right? If they were all gun shy, nobody could go hunting. 
but it's a prepared stimulus for some dogs and age can make it worse. All right, back to Temple Grandin. Dr. Manika, as Grandin tells us, also found that she could protect an animal from developing a fear the same way. If she first exposed a laboratory-reared monkey to another laboratory-reared monkey not acting afraid of a snake, that gave him a certain kind of immunity. After that, if he saw a wild-reared monkey acting scared of a snake, he did not develop snake fear himself. He held on to his first lesson. In human psychotherapy, therapists have suspected and in some cases demonstrated that phobias are contagious, that people can catch a phobia by hanging around people who already have it. Dr. Manika's research shows that it is not only possible to learn a phobia by being exposed to someone else who has that phobia, it's incredibly natural and it's a very easy way to acquire a phobia. Fear is contagious. That's why it's fun to go scary movies with your friends, right? So Dr. Grandin then says, both animals and people can get over a learned fear. But today we understand that getting over a fear isn't the same as forgetting a fear. Extinction isn't forgetting. It is new learning that contradicts old learning. Okay, hang on to that principle. So let's go back and talk about peanut and what some of the work we did. Because um, I think these excerpts show how much influence one way or another that one animal can have on another animal's perception of something. Experienced dog trainers know this about dogs and we've known it for a long time. Um, I don't know how much it's been studied in the formal research. But there's a whole incredible relationship between a dog and its owner. And an owner's reaction to something carries a greater weight than just a person or another dog. The good news is they're watching us. Might be the bad news that they're watching us, right? But what I'm trying to get across is that you, as your dog's owner, this is what I was trying to explain to the Newfoundland owner, you can have a profound influence on the long-term effects or the lack of them. Like with the incident with Peanut and the big dog that grabbed her. It's certainly prudent for the owner to be watchful and careful to do their best that, uh, you know, it doesn't happen again. We don't want our dogs to get jumped or whatever. But try not to let watchfulness turn into tension and anxiety. Don't hover. Because that tension and anxiety can be transmitted to the dog. And especially try not to fret over every single sign of tension that the dog shows. If the dog sees you get tense at the sight of a large dog, maybe because she put her ears back, your dog won't know that it was her ears that have you worried. She's likely to think that both of you are now worried about the big dog. She's going to be right there with you. And then the very thing that you are worried about that she will have a problem in the future whenever large dogs around are around becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
And, and I told that owner, you need to look for every opportunity you can to give her new learning to contradict the learning that she may have had from that incident. You know, one concept that's made clear in the excerpts I shared from Temple Grandin's book is how, an, how important an animal's initial experience with something can be. If the lab-raised monkey was first exposed to a monkey that was not afraid of snakes, then it did not develop fear of snakes later when it was exposed to another monkey that was afraid of snakes. This is something I always keep in mind when experiences occur that have the potential to frighten a dog. I have a a dear friend um, who went through something similar. At, At dog shows, sometimes the ring gates that separate us from each other get knocked over accidentally and uh, I was at a dog show with my friend Pat and a judge who isn't with us anymore um, uh, his name I should remember and I just blanked it um, oh my goodness it'll come to me anyway he stepped over a ring gate and the cuff of his pants caught on the top of the gate and it pulled the gate down on the back of my friend's dog who was doing a sit-stay. And it startled her, right? It, it spooked her. Dog was about a year old. And what happens, now my friend did not do this but because she's very experienced, but humans typically react to something like that with a sudden intake of breath, their mouth open and a horrified look on their face. And their next, next instinct is to be concerned that the dog has been harmed either physically or frightened mentally in some way. So they rush to the dog, talking in voices that are dripping with concern. All of that is a great formula to teach the dog that what just happened is awful and that it's something to be afraid of. When this happened to my friend's dog, she laughed and said, Whoa, what's up? She went on in some same upbeat tone, called her dog out of the situation, got the gate up, teased the judge, whose name I just remembered, it was Kent Delaney, teased the judge and said, you can't be doing that, right? Um, Praised her to the skies as though she'd done something terrific, shake it off, and then immediately started the process of giving the dog new learning to contradict the initial startle effect. She put food on the floor by the gate, tossed it, opened and closed the gate while the dog munched on her snack. Um, The dog was walking around with the gates laying on the floor. She set it back up and she just went back to work as if these things happen all the time, right? In my dog training classes, when something like this happens, we all do the same thing. In fact... Teaching the dog not to respond dramatically to a startle object is one of the main features of the AKC Canine Good Citizen test. The dog cannot lose their mind if somebody drops something. So if there's a sudden boom of thunder, if we drop a clipboard in the dog training class, People will freeze. Sometimes the handlers are more startled by the, by the object in class than the dogs are. And we just clap and cheer and immediately call the dogs up 
and go right back to work. Anything to get the dogs moving physically and to make sure that the mood stays light. Make sense? Okay. Peanut. I think I just saw her handler at a dog show a couple weeks ago. Peanut's doing fine. She's working on her utility training. She's going to classes, matches, trials in all kinds of locations. She is a gregarious, outgoing, funny little dog, and she shows very few concerns. She has not hung on to this experience. It doesn't linger in her memory at all. Uh, my friend's pet's dog is doing fine. Um, even before the gate, loud noises were not a favorite, but she tolerates them. But she, uh, my friend doesn't worry about a dropped jump board in the ring or whether or not that would destroy a fine performance. Um, that dog used to actually get jumpy, get nervous when she heard a dumbbell hit the floor. Um, it happened once, I think, behind her and startled her. And for a while, she'd get apprehensive about the sound of dumbbells. Um, that got fixed, too. Uh, when she had to have uh, do a retrieve and then have her breakfast, she decided that flying dumbbells or the sound of flying dumbbells wasn't quite so scary at all. So what should we remember? Every dog has its own degree of tendency towards fearful or apprehensive response to things. No matter how confident or not your dog naturally is, you can improve the dog's confidence by what you do or don't do when the dog acts afraid. Here's what to do. Stop any barking, lunging, or running away, either by using a leash or by holding the collar and the dog with your hands. If he won't respond to a sit command or he doesn't know the sit command, put him in a sit. Stabilize him. Don't talk to him. You can't talk dogs out of anything anyway. Don't talk to him. If you feel you must talk, then talk in a calm, matter-of-fact voice. Calmly insist on emotional self-control. Don't let him panic or warp out. As soon as you can, remove restraint, but keep it, keep it close. Don't go put your leash away. You might need it again. Wait until the dog is calm to walk him away from an incident. Use a collar your dog cannot slip out of anytime you think you could be near something the dog might try to get away from. Consider implementing a training program or work with a trainer who understands what you're dealing with, <coughs> especially if the problem is severe, if it persists, or if it's getting worse despite your efforts. Here's what not to do. These are probably the most important. Don't talk in a soothing or worried tone of voice. Don't coo. God help me, don't say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Don't pet or stroke the dog. Be calm. Don't allow your dog to lean against you or hide behind you. Don't give your dog repeated commands that he is ignoring. Don't allow the dog to rush away from or off of the feared object. Don't worry about the dog's fear. 
Don't feel irritated with whatever is bothering your dog. Don't feel embarrassed by your dog's behavior. And don't avoid similar objects or situations in the future. Right? Um, that those first two items, don't talk in a soothing or worried tone of voice and don't pet or stroke the dog. I know we feel like we're being reassuring, but all too often the dog perceives it as reinforcement, hands on the dog, talking to the dog in a soothing voice. The dog often perceives this as good job, good job. And you're, you're praising and reinforcing not only the dog's behavior, but also their mental state. And what we really want them to do is shake it off, right? Shake it off, just like the song. Shake it off. Don't panic. Most of the time, there's nothing legitimately to be afraid of, right? The dog just got startled. This happens to us too as humans. It's really your opportunity to change the subject, right? Imagine you and I are sitting at an outdoor cafe we're having conversation and a motorcycle backfires right behind you. You're going to have a physiological startle response. There's no way around it. And it's physiological. You're going to jump. You may intake breath. You may make a noise. And in those few moments, as you begin to kind of recover from that physiological experience of being startled, that's my opportunity, right? Because if I decide in that moment, you're, you're going to look at me and say, what were we talking about? I don't remember. And it'll be true because our, our memory banks kind of blank out in that moment of being startled. That's my opportunity, right? If I thought your story was too long or too boring, I could smile and put my hand on your arm and say, oh my goodness, Actually, we were talking about me, <laughs> right? And you're not going to be able to remember. You're not going to be able to correct me. I get to change the subject. And I think that's what we should remember when it comes to our dogs as well. Your dog gets startled by something. He might turn and look at that. Don't fixate on it. Shake it off. Change the subject. Turn him back to you. Hey, we were really talking about me or you forgot we were doing a sit, or you forgot we were playing with this toy. In the Canine Good Citizen test, the dog who will fail that element of the test is the dog who turns to the startle object and starts to bark in that rat-a-tat-tat kind of report barking kind of way, right? Ruh, 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 ruh. And a dog who cannot snap out of it. A dog who cannot be brought around to, yeah, 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 you're fine. Let's get back to work. That's the dog who will fail that element of the test. Right? This would make sense to you if you think about the fact that canine good citizen test is often the test. It's sometimes modified a little bit that is used to determine if a dog is prepared to work as a therapy dog or as a visiting dog in an institutional setting like a senior center, hospital ward, um, library, uh, a school, right? There are noises in those institutional settings 
situations where dogs may be startled all the time, frequently. In order to function in those institutional settings, they must be able to shake it off and they can do it better and faster with our help and with training, with continued exposure. We don't take them away and insulate them forever from these things. We teach them, guide them, show them that we're laboratory monkeys who aren't afraid of snakes, right? (laughs) To go back to where we started with this today. That's the opportunity. Um, And so that's what we did with Peanut. That's what I'll hopefully be able to do to help the person who called about the Newfoundland who has now taught himself how to stay outside when her goal is to get him to, to come inside and her, her justification, her rationale for his unwillingness to come inside has been that he is afraid. And I don't think that's what it is. I just don't. He needs some new learning to contradict some old learning and she hopefully can practice not being that cooing, gurgling, come on, baby, you can do it kind of owner, which is just reinforcing his notion that there's probably a good reason not to go in the house and punching his ticket when he just refuses to get up and do so, right? There's really nothing there to be afraid of. Okay, I said there were two parts to this and just gets better from here. So come back and hang out with us next week. K9360 on Thursday evenings. Tonight, you know what to do though, right? It's Thursday. Off you go. Music at Stransky. Thanks guys. Have a great one. And we'll see you back here. Just a little bit. Back here on KZUM. KZUM HD, the coolest radio station in the world.